with your songbooks marked to 214. Let me invite you to turn with me to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis chapter 1, and in a moment we will begin right there. Wonderful crowd on this uh, Sunday afternoon. Again, let me uh, say again, although it's not nearly enough, how thankful I am to you for the invitation to come and to join you for your spring gospel meeting. Shane and I have been looking forward to it, and uh, it is here, and we've enjoyed uh, our time together. Wonderful potluck. Thanks to everyone for uh, your preparations, uh, both uh, before and uh, during the meal we had a moment ago. A lot of good home cooking. Enjoy that uh, very, very much uh, indeed. Uh, Brother Shelton, thank you again for introducing things. Brother Tim, thank you for directing our song service. Brother Jeremy for doing so this morning. And uh, Brother Aubrey, is that right? Brother Aubrey for directing our minds in prayer and one that we could all say uh, amen to. I don't know how often uh, you hear this said, but you know, occasionally, it's rare, and I'm glad it's rare, but occasionally a prayer is worded that I can't say amen to. I can't say amen. I can't say it is so. It's rare. Uh, very rare. But uh, that certainly is not the case. Brother, I'll be a beautiful prayer. Well worded and all of us able to say within ourselves, amen uh, indeed. Well, tonight we want to turn in a different direction and consider God's family plan. God's family plan, a little introductory material before we get into Scripture itself. The 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher Plato said in the long ago, children are your riches. And upon their turning out well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. Now that is only a segment of what he said. It, it's longer, it's rich. Now, Brother Frank, it's not God-breathed, but I believe that he was right Although this, again, is not a part of Scripture, I believe, Jeremy, that he got that. Plato was wrong on so many things. But he was right on that. Listen to it again. Children are your riches. Brother, and I believe that. Shane and I view our children as our riches. Children are your riches. And upon their turning out well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. Would to God that more people knew that and believed that and engaged with their family just like that. I want to quote it a third time, and it'll be the final time. I hope you'll embed it in the very fabric of your memory. Again, from the 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher Plato. Children are your riches, and upon their turning out... Look at the choice now. Well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. There is so much truth embedded in that, indeed. With that laid before you, I want to again, for the umpteenth time, I want to again tell you something you already know. The family, the biblical family, the Christian family, the traditional family, the so-called nuclear family is under assault, under attack. I believe like never before, never before that I remember, like never before in my lifetime, my brethren and my friends. Now, again, admittedly, I, I told you a little bit about my background. I grew up in rural America. I grew up in a Christian home. 
And I was so blessed by that and, and, and for that, indeed. I, I can't thank my God. I, I can't thank my parents enough. From time to time, Shane and I, in fact, just recently, we'll send a care package, just box up a lot of stuff. My dad likes Danish. And so we'll run out to Sam's and load it up. And he likes books on Alexander Campbell. So Shane and I are scouring the internet, uh, Brother Dave, to try to find something he doesn't already have. My maternal, and Dave knows this, Dave and Deb know this, my maternal grandfather, my mother's dad, was a gospel preacher, Frank Gould, Frank William Gould. My dad has my late Paul's library. He had a great library. And my dad has that library. And my Paul was a fan of Alexander Campbell and had a number of works. And now those belong to my dad. And, and I have duplicates of many of those items. And one day what my dad has will be mine. And we, we appreciate that. I love the family that I grew up in. And I'll tell you, this was my dad's philosophy. I hope it won't sound too strong. There was the right way, my dad's way, and the wrong way, and the first two were one and the same. And maybe that's just the way we did it. The right way, dad's way, and the wrong way, and the first two were one and the same. Indeed. I know to my mother and dad, my aged parents, that we, myself, my brother, and my two sisters, all faithful Christians, that we are my parents' riches. And I know that our three living daughters are our riches. And our son-in-law is part of our riches. We don't have a boy, so now my son-in-law is my boy. And from time to time, he calls me dad, and I call him son, and he's a fine Christian young man. And our two little granddaughters, they are indeed our riches. We loved all over them Friday and Saturday, indeed. I said it last time, but I'm going to have to back off of that. Children are your riches, and upon their turning out well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. That's why our theme this afternoon means so much to me, because our children are our riches, and I believe that with every fiber of my being. And I know, sadly, that again, the family is under assault, under attack. If one doubts that at all, and I know you do not, but Tim, if one doubts that at all, all you would have to do is watch a primetime television program on the family for one minute, probably one minute, where the parents, moms and dads are viewed, pictured as idiots. And the children are the wisest people in the room. Unbelievable. And every letter of the LGBTQ agenda is advocated in some way during the course of that 30-minute program or whatever it is. It's all you need to do. One little brief moment of watching that. And you'll see the family is under attack, under assault. And I'm bothered by that. I'm greatly bothered by that. As a child, as a father, as a grandfather... My late paternal grandfather would say, that chaps him up one side and down the other. If you're chapped on both sides, you're just chapped. You're raw. And so I, that, I hope that doesn't come off too coarse. But that chaps me that the family is under attack like that. But there's something we can do about it. And we ought to do about it. And we want to do about it. Because the family means so much to you and to me. Your definition of family matters. 
I put my glasses on because I want to read a couple of things to you. I invite your careful attention with open minds and, of course, open Bibles. We're coming to the Word of God. I've got in my hands two index cards, different in appearance and shape and color, with entirely different messages on them. I'm going to begin with this one that I wholly disagree with. This is from the New York Times, June the 18th of last year, 2018. New York Times, June the 18th of last year. This is one idea or definition of the family. Peyton, an impish one-year-old, has two fathers. One of them gave birth to her. That doesn't sound right. As traditional notions of gender shift and blur, parents and children like these are redefining the concept of family. The father, Tanner, has been transitioning from female to male since he was a teen and stated he was born a male in a female body. If I didn't need to read from that, I'd like to burn it. I disagree with every bit of that, as you do. But that, my brethren and friends, is becoming the norm, Shelton. This is becoming the standard, the rule. And this is the exception. This is taken from a book I read uh, just a few years ago by uh, Ryan T. Anderson titled The Truth Overruled, 2015. And here's what uh, Ryan T. Anderson said. The redefinition of marriage as a genderless partnership is possible only in a society that has already done serious damage to the institution. Cohabitation, get this now, cohabitation, no-fault divorce, recreational sex, non-marital childbearing, all contributed to the breakdown of the marriage and the family culture. Whether it is the glamorization of premarital sex or the normalization of same-sex relationships, the media shape our culture, which in turn shapes our laws and our lives. He's right. That's right. That's what's happening. And the media has so much sway over people's lives, it's embarrassing how much sway, Tim, that the media has over our lives. But we don't have to allow that to be the case. We have control over these matters. So this afternoon, let's think about, let's talk about God's family plan. God's family plan. Not the notions of the wild and the woolly in society, but from God's Word. From the mind of God through His Word to the mind of man. And let us be formed and transformed by the Word of God, as I know you are, every day of your lives. Again, through reading it, as we talked about in our Bible class hour this morning. Read this book. So they read in the book the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I am, I am convinced that if we and our children, our grandchildren, will stay in the book, in the book, God's book, we can do more than we perhaps have ever imagined. Brother Jeff, thank you for leadership of the, the pre-worship program here for the children. Uh, I, I, you did something very similar to that when we were here about six years ago, and boy, they are sharp as tacks. Indeed. 
That is the way that it ought to be. Children in the Word of God. So without any further delay, with open minds and open Bibles, our theme again of the hour, God's family plan. I want to put before you three points. I'll list those right now, then we'll come back and view each of them individually. The family's foundation is grounded in God. The family's foundation, that'll be point number one in a moment. The family's foundation is grounded in God. Number two, momentarily, the family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. And number three, the family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. The family's foundation is grounded in God. The family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. And we'll go to the Old and the New Testament with that. And the family's feelings, and we're right to have feelings for one another. The family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. Stay with me now. Let's view each of those, and then we'll put an amen to it. The sermon will be yours. We'll go our separate ways, and Shane and I will look forward to being with you at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. I'll be using the PowerPoint again tomorrow night. In fact, probably through Thursday night as well. And tomorrow night we'll talk about our standard of authority. Brother Jesse, you're, you're leading our singing. I've already suggested a song, uh, I believe number 420. Uh, and so that'll be a great song, a song that was written by the late Brother Austin Taylor. And it was written upon the request of the late Brother Foy E. Wallace Sr., not Jr. I heard uh, Foy E. Wallace Jr. preach as a teenager, uh, Brother Dave, uh, in rural Arkansas uh, at a church building that had no indoor plumbing. Uh, and so there were a lot of those were in the area where I grew up. Uh, I went out to... I go to the outhouse, I stayed out there too long. My mother came out and disciplined me and brought me back in. Brother Wallace preached for like two hours. Uh, and so uh, I took a bathroom break. My mother thought it was too long and took care of me in the gravel parking lot. And then I came on back in. She would confirm that. And so uh, Brother Wallace, I wish I could remember what he preached on. I just remember the spanking I got. But uh, maybe, that, maybe, that's, maybe that's best. But his dad, Foy Wallace Sr., was in a gospel meeting. And there was no song in the Brotherhood hymnals to match up with Colossians 3.17. And you know that verse, whatsoever you will do in word or deed, and so on and so forth. And so Brother Wallace asked Brother Austin Taylor, could you write something? And he did. I believe that's 420. Is that right, Brother Jesse? We're going to sing that tomorrow night before the sermon, Our Standard of Authority. And you look at that song in the meantime and, uh, and rejoice in what Brother Taylor wrote. He often traveled with Brother Wallace, uh, leading the singing and preaching, preaching and leading the singing as a team. And what a wonderful thing they did so long ago. Our Bibles are open to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're at point number 1. My brethren and my friends, and point number 1, the family's foundation is grounded in God. Indeed, the family's foundation is grounded in God. Family and marriage, I'm telling you what you already know, is not a human construct. You hear that kind of language all the time, and again, it grates on me that this is a human construct, and that is a human construct. I've had that in one ear and out the other. I'm tired of hearing it. But marriage and the family are not a human construct. God is the originator of marriage and the family, and we do not have to guess at that. 
uh, one of the songs Brother Jeff led the kids in mentioned that this is not guesswork. We don't have to guess at that. We've got evidence of such. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Indeed. Indeed. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul, a living being. Yes. Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a suitable helper or helper comparable uh, to him. Indeed. And so that is exactly what happened. Beginning around verse 21, we read that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam, to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh thereof, verse 21. And according to verse 22, from that rib that God had taken from Adam, he made the woman, and he brought her to the man. And verse 23 of Genesis 2 says, you know it. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, and shall be called woman, because she is taken out of man. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Indeed. Brethren, that is the beginning of God's family plan. There is the family's foundation grounded in God himself. That's point number one. We're not, we're not done with it, but that's point number one. That's the heart of point number one. The family's foundation is grounded in God. God's family plan began with, wait on it, God. Indeed, not a human construct. Never has been, never will be. That family was added to, as you well know. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew, knew is a euphemism, as you well know, for sexual relations. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Yes, the family's growing. And so our Lord... In Matthew 19, and I referenced this this morning, we drew on Matthew 19, 4, and I told you we would come back to it at the 1 o'clock hour. In Matthew 19, 4 and following, here's what you'll read. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Stop right there. That's drawn from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Our Lord here in Matthew 19, 4 and following is quoting from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they too, the King James says, twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more two but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Matthew 19, 4, 5, and 6. Our Lord drew on God's original family plan. We're talking about God's family plan and we're talking about the first of three points this afternoon that the family's foundation is grounded in God, in the character of God, in the person of God, in the nature of God, in the creative ability of God. But the family's foundation is grounded and founded in God himself. And therefore, 
The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13, 4, you know the verse, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But the King James says, whoremongers and adulterers, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge Hebrews 13 and verse 4. The purity of the family and of marriage depends upon our remembering its foundation and its foundation being grounded and founded in the, again the very person of God himself. That is, Brother Jeremy, what we've gotten away from. And I say we, society has gotten away from that concept. And so again, to so many, to most perhaps, Brother Shelton, the family is a human construct. And so they believe we're free to reconstitute it as we will. Man and man, woman and woman, this and that, do and do again. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. And if you oppose this and oppose it, Brother Conrad, by going to the scriptures, you're viewed as an idiot. You're viewed as anything but a sane individual. And that's how we are viewed today. I am sad to say. Point number two. The family's faith, the family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. The family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. We can demonstrate this and will from both the Old Testament and the new. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. At your leisure, you may want to read more than that, but this will make our point. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Here's what God through Moses said in the long ago to the children of Israel. And these words, which I command thee this day. Watch it now. Parents, there's something for us and for the children. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. That is an all day, every day, Brother Frank, plan of instilling the faith of God in our children. And I believe it and I believe you believe it. And it takes all day. And it takes every day. And it takes our instilling this in them every day to make a difference. I want to say again something I said this morning, and I hope you'll take it in the spirit, the humble spirit in which I mean it. I believe you will. And I'll add to it. Oftentimes, let me, let me preface it differently to, to say that same thing Frequently in my traveling, Dave, someone will say to us, well, you and Shana are lucky that your children turned out like they did. And I have to just, and I just have to, you know, take a little breather, a little, a little pause there like we did a moment ago to, you know, just breathe a little bit and think a little bit before we began our worship because I don't want to be ugly to people. But then I'll say, I know what you mean, and I appreciate that. But I want you to know something else, that really luck had nothing to do with it. We've been working at this. And although our girls are 23, 25, and 27, and they've still all three got their birthdays coming up this year, and they're grown women, and one's married and has two children of her own, and they're all faithful Christians, and we are blessed, we don't really believe luck had anything to do with it. We were working at it before we were married. And we've worked at it ever since we were married. And we are far from perfect parents. 
but we are super proud of our children, of our girls. And we believe what I preach. We believe that the family's foundation is grounded in God. And we believe that the family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. And so we are proud when our girls would come back from Bible camp or whatever, and they got the ribbon for knowing the most scripture, smoking those other kids because we were getting into the Word of God at home and at the church building. I'm a little bit competitive, Brother Dave. You know, I, I, I like to win, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that either. I'm, I'll just, I'll stand my ground on that. And I went up with our girls. I said, memorize those scriptures, get in there and smoke them and come on home, baby. So that's why we, learn the word, learn the word. Indeed, the family's faith is grounded in the word of God. Look at that one more time, Deuteronomy. Then we're going to the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Let me use the more current pronouns now. And these words which I have spoken unto you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you get up. Indeed. All day long. In the New Testament, we've got Ephesians chapter 6, 1 and 4, 1 through 4, 1 through 4, you know it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long upon the earth. And you fathers, boy, we need this. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Years ago, I was preaching somewhere, I won't mention where, that, uh, that's not really important, and uh, one of our girls got a little unruly during services, and we disciplined her. And after the services, an older brother told me that I had violated Ephesians 6-4, and that I had provoked her to wrath because I'd spanked the child. Let me tell you, I had some words with that brother. Indeed. Indeed. When Shane and I married, I was preaching in McDougal, Arkansas. Makes Pocahontas seem like a Birmingham metropolis. 231 people in McDougal. We added two. That was 233. It's a farming community, a rice and row crop farming. Salt of the earth folks. Good people. We lived in the preacher's house. Uh, I mean, uh, I could spit and hit the church building. It was that close. We had a deacon there. His dad was one of the elders. Wonderful Christian people. And he said, Brother Mel, and, and this man that was probably 12, 15 years older than me, the deacon was. And he said, I'd like to tell you about what happened uh, one time when one of our boys was little. At the same place, we're at the McDougal, the building of the McDougal Church of Christ. He said, I took one of the boys out. They'd misbehaved in services. And it was a gravel parking lot. I mean, big, chunky, white gravel. You know what I'm talking about. Walked him out in the parking lot, and he said he noticed an older brother was following him. This had been maybe 15 years before I got there. And he got out there, and he's about to, about to spank the child. And he said, the older brother said, I can't allow you to do that. I can't allow you to spank that boy. And so this brother, who was a farmer, I mean, built like a tank. He turned around and he said, well, let me tell you something, brother. Somebody's going to get a whipping here today. 
And he said, if you want to take the whipping for the boy, then we'll just have it out right here. And that brother turned around and walked back in. No exaggeration. He told me that outside the church building. He did the, and he spanked the boy and they went back into services. Children are your riches, and upon their turning out well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. Indeed. We do not provoke our children to wrath because they get spanked. And Brother Jeff covered one or more verses concerning that directly a little bit ago. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, my brethren, that's the way it is. The late old Bible commentary, Brother Dave, Matthew Henry, said a lot, but he said this little bit I want to quote before you in connection with his comments on Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Again, remember, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Here is what Matthew Henry said in part. Watch it now. It is, I quote exactly, it is the order of nature that parents command and children obey. Brother Dave, Matthew Henry was right. It is the order of nature that parents command and children obey. And again, those were his comments relative to Ephesians 6 and verse 1. Because the family's faith is grounded in the Word of God. And that is not going to change. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, you know the verse. The Apostle Paul, the older preacher, said to Timothy, the younger preacher, and that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child, the Greek word for child there is a form of brephos. The lexical form is brephos, B-R-E-P-H-O-S, brephos. That is the same Greek word that you will encounter in Luke chapter 1 and verse 41. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Babe, from Brephos, Luke 1.41. It's the same Greek word you'll encounter in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 of the eight-day-old Jesus. Luke 2 and verse 21. Brephos. That is the range of that word. Of an in utero child. And again, it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Who was that babe? That was John the Baptist. And again, Brephos is defined as a living, breathing, nursing infant. A living, breathing, nursing infant. And again, that word used of the eight-day-old Jesus. And the word used of a child, Timothy, who's old enough to know the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make us wise unto salvation. You know what I know. All the children here, y'all are blessed with children here. That's a great thing. It's a great thing. And these children, at the earliest of ages, are able to come to know the Scriptures, are they not? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's what we want. Who taught... Timothy, you know who it was. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, notice the connection at 2 Timothy 1, 5, connect yourself to 2 Timothy 3, 15. At 3, 15, connect yourself to 1, 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in thee also, 2 Timothy 1, 5, again join hard to 2 Timothy 3, 15, because the family's faith 
is grounded in the Word of God. And Grandma Lois and Mother Eunice did their part in the long ago in rearing up that young boy to become the preaching man, Timothy, to become the follower, if you will, and the student of Paul himself, and to be addressed by Paul in his own letters as moved by the Spirit of God. And I take comfort and confidence in that this day and every day. Because, again, the family's foundation is grounded in the Word of God. And that's why we love, members of the church love Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We feed on that because we believe it with every fiber of our being. Point number three, finally this afternoon, dear brethren, and soon we'll continue and conclude our worship to God. Point number three, the family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. The family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. And by that I mean it is the love of God that motivates us and our love for one another. The family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. And I mean feelings in the sense of love. And I say that now in the sense of true family emotion. Because tomorrow night... I'll mention feelings in a different way. And I'll quote a poem or part of a poem from the late Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther was wrong on so many things, but he was right in this poem. And I'll quote that at the appropriate time. Brother Jesse will be leading our singing and we'll consider together and study together. I'll lead you in that study. I'll do the preaching. I'll preach the word. You'll hear the word. And when those two come together, you've got an acceptable act of worship to God. And we'll call that our standard of authority. We'll spend most of our time talking about what is not our standard of authority. And then we'll conclude with what is our standard of authority. But you'll be listening for my thoughts on feelings and the quotation and how different those are from what we're talking about here. The family's genuine feelings are grounded in the love of God. Go with me to Genesis 29 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 20, if you care. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. This is a, a sentimental section of Scripture. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And it seemed but a few days. Why? Because of the love he had for her. I love that. I didn't have to serve seven years for Shana. I met her and served six months and then we married. So... Uh, uh, that, that, that worked out. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And look at that now. They seemed but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh, that's touching indeed. That's touching indeed. The Apostle Paul said, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also to the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. In Titus 2, beginning with verse 3 and going through Verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus to tell the older women to teach the younger women to be sober. We're at verse 4 now. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be chaste, discreet, keepers or workers at home, good, obedient unto their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Indeed. Indeed. I had a Christian woman who's not been the most faithful woman in the world, we're working on that with her right now, personally. Had this Christian woman approach me and said, Now, Brother Mel, let me get this straight. This was after a ladies' Bible class. I teach our ladies' Bible class on Tuesdays. 
10 a.m. back in our fellowship room. She said, now get, let me get this straight. Since my husband is not a Christian, I don't have to obey him. Is that right? And I said, no, you don't have that right. I said, unless what he instructs you to do violates God's law. We ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5, 29. Unless there's some issue with that, then you, you've got to obey your husband. I know her husband. Fine man, but he's not a Christian. Not a Christian. And so we'll be meeting in our latest Bible class again. We're doing an overview of the books of the New Testament. Then we're going to do well, what we call, what I call, concordance studies. All the women in the ladies' class will bring our concordance. And uh, I give out a topic or a person, and they've got to get to that place. We, we do a little, I, I have a... a I have a stopwatch, Frank. I'm, I'm a little competitive. And then we try to get, so they get there, and I want them to know how to get in their Bible and know how to get there and get there quick and not be dependent on a thumb index. I'm just going to give you my opinion. You can completely disagree with me. I'm kind of biased on this. I really don't care for thumb indexes at all. If you've got one in your Bible, I'm not, I wouldn't say a thing to you, but I like no thumb index. Get over there, baby, on your own. Don't use any help. I figure you folks are already there, long past there, indeed. But we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3 a week from Tuesday, 1 and 2 Peter, doing our overview, one class spirit on uh, no more than two books, sometimes just one, going through that. Then we'll do our concordance study. Then we're going to do it all through the Old Testament, indeed. But I mention that, again, because of this. Again, the family's foundation is grounded in God. The family's faith grounded in the Word of God. And the family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. Good, obedient, back to Our Lady that I mentioned, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. Indeed. But the idea, Brother Dave, of spiritual headship in the family, uh, male spiritual leadership in the church and the family, seems like a foreign concept, an alien concept to most modern minds, indeed. Shane and I are equal in our essence and worth before God. But she has the subordinate role in the family and in the church. And that's by the design of God. And that doesn't hamper our marital relationship. It doesn't hamper our husband-wife relationship. We accept our separate, different, yet, uh, if you will, compatible roles, and we do what God would have us to do. And so think about the wisdom of Paul. I know he's moved by the Spirit of God, but here's the older preacher telling the younger preacher who's on the island of Crete, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordained elders in every city as I've appointed thee. Titus 1 and verse 5. Here is Titus on the island of Crete, 155 miles from east to west, 35 miles from north to south. In the Mediterranean, towards uh, the mouth of the Aegean Sea, he is on this island to do what Titus 1.5 says he is to do. And Paul says, Titus, you tell the older women to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands. And you husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Let's end with John 13, 34 and 35. And there our Lord said in the long ago, 
A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Is this not beautiful language? A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. The family's feelings. Husband for wife. Wife for husband. Parents for children. Children for parents. Parents and children and grandparents. The family's feelings are grounded in the love of God. And love is at the heart of all that we do. Indeed. Indeed. As parents it is, we discipline because of love. We love because of love. We instill the faith of God because of love. We respond favorably and honestly and appropriately to God's family plan because of love of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. The apostle John heard our Lord say that. And decades later when he wrote 1 John 5 and verse 3, he said, For this is the love of God that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, they are not burdensome. Earlier in 1 John 2 and verse 3, the same John said, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. I have the privilege, Brother Jeff, of preaching at Shades Mountain where their first full-time preacher was the late Brother Franklin Camp. And we still have a few members there who have those old Dixon Bibles, and they've got notes in there from Brother Camp. I have told them, I said, I would just be overwhelmed if you would leave me your Bible, give me your Bible. It's kind of bold. Or maybe I could take it and borrow it. And maybe, if you don't mind me spreading it out and photocopy some of that stuff. Brother Camp used to say, and I was told this within a week of moving there almost 21 years ago. Brother Camp used to say about 1 John 2 and verse 3 that I just quoted. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He said, according to that verse, Brother Camp said, you can know that you know that you know that you know. And he said, I can just keep on going with no. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Indeed. So love drives us to keep commandments. And God's commandments drive us to follow his family plan. Recognizing its foundation in God, that its faith is grounded in the word of God, and that its feelings are grounded in the love of God. And with that, you cannot go wrong. We will end where we began. Children are your riches. And upon their turning out well or ill depends the whole order of their father's house. Great to be with you. We'll see you tomorrow night. If we can help you with your soul salvation, we invite you to come as a child of God for prayer or as one who desires to become a child of God, to repent, to make the good, great, and confession that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and allow Brother Frank to immerse you in water for the full forgiveness of your sins. If you desire that, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing. When we walk with
121, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Thank you, Mel, for such a wonderful admonishment to us to keep the family first and foremost and foundation built upon God. Please be seated. Sorry about that. Excuse me. Turn number 413. 413, if you have not had an opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper today, it's prepared for you. If you will make your way to either one of the front pews as we sing this song, you'll be served. 413 in remembrance. We'll sing the second and third verses, please. Second and third verses only. Let us sing. We recall His broken body as we look upon this bread. Give ye thanks, divide and eat it in my memory, he said. Thanks to God for such a Savior now Blessed memorial of His love. And this crimson cup reminds us of that dread scene long ago when He died in pain and anguish. There His blood was made to flow. Thanks to such a Savior now enthroned in heaven above. Thanks for this exalted favor, blessed memorial of His love. Was there anyone that needed to partake in the Lord's Supper? Would you signify by raising your hand? Okay. 121. Leaning on the everlasting arms. I know where Pocahontas is. My, my sister went to school at Crowley's Ridge <laughs> for a couple of years there. I know exactly where it is. 121, leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's all be back to tomorrow night at 7 p.m. We look forward to hearing Mel once again. Stand with me, please, as we sing the first verse and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. Let us sing. What a fellowship, what a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all of
opportunity 